What's gonna happen tonight? What's gonna happen? We're gonna whoop their Have you gotten Ronald yet? Good morning, afternoon, evening, brunch time, lunch time, football time in Tennessee time, game week time. What else needs to be said time? I'm sure we'll we'll say a lot time because that's kind of our thing time. Whatever time of day it is, boys and girls, it's the right time for the Go Vols 24-7 podcast. Wes Rooker coming to you from Fort Rucker Studio. We're dropping this on a Monday morning, recording it late Sunday night, but dropping it early Monday morning. So uh, happy Monday morning to you, or unless it's Monday afternoon or evening or Tuesday, whatever time of day it is, whatever day it is, thank you for spending part of it with us here on the Go Vols 24-7 podcast. Hope everything in your life is going great. Hope you're excited that it's Tennessee football season. I know a lot of of y'all have been waiting eight months or so, eight months and change for this and and now it's almost here in, in just a few days tennessee thursday night thursday night opening against ball state at neyland stadium 7 p.m eastern on sec network to talk about that uh we're gonna go across town to the home daycare center of ryan callahan and we're gonna go to that undisclosed location and get to patrick brown and i can ask both of y'all this uh this evening slash morning uh we'll, we'll call it evening morning how in the hell are y'all doing Doing well, man. It's it's game week. It's uh, it's time to put uh, put all that lack of media access throughout camp behind us and and watch some real football. I'm always excited about that. Yeah, it's hard to believe it's uh, it's here. the The phenomenon of of college football season is that we're recording this on August the 28th. It feels like August has lasted about 63 days. Yeah. Um, and then now all of a sudden there's a football game to cover in four days, and there was football on Saturday too. So. Yes, there it's was, here. and extending into Sunday morning uh, for for the uh, for the Vanderbilt Hawaii game. So that was uh, there was a lot of football on that day. Not a lot of a good football, but but nonetheless, football that was, was a, on. That was a rough game for Ryan Callahan, wasn't it, Ryan? Yeah, Ryan's not, not, Ryan's not first, really. Ryan's just, first mortal lock of the season didn't go great. Well, I, hey, I thought Hawaii would at least keep that game close. I, di- I guess I just didn't realize how bad Hawaii is. But I'll, I'll give Vanderbilt credit. They looked better. I don't know if it'll add up to any SEC wins, but they're they're a little bit better than I thought they might look. It, yeah, well, it, their it, offense is taking H- a step. H- Hawaii had, like, one of the worst off-seasons, like, crazy upheaval. Like, there was all kinds of stuff, new, new coaching staff coming in because – the old guy had some 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 really bad allegations of the way some guys were treated. Lots and lots of bad stuff there. And they're also playing in a glorified high school stadium right now until they get Aloha Stadium rebuilt. So you're uh, you know just 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 not a, not a lot going for the Rainbow Warriors right now. But nonetheless, uh, it was football, and Vanderbilt did uh, take a couple early punches there and fight back one handily. So uh, they don't have to uh, to have an embarrassing loss uh, to go with uh, the one last season. So so that is. Good for the doors, good for the SEC, I suppose. Before we get into Tennessee football stuff, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention this almost right off the top. We're going to have a, another episode here in a few days where, where we can actually talk to the man himself. Um, but we did have major, major news for Go Vols 24-7 the past couple days. Uh, I'm so excited we're able to tell you all this. We, 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 we had it done for a little bit, and now we can actually discuss it. Uh, but Ben McKee is joining our staff 
Uh, and for those of you uh, who don't know uh, Ben, Ben has done a great job covering Tennessee uh, for a few years now uh, for various radio and, and you know, media sites or, you know, websites, uh, you know, in our market. And it is already just an unbelievably good baseball beat writer. He's going to help our coverage there so much. Also going to help football and basketball a ton. We are really, really excited. He's also going to uh, eventually be co-hosting a lot of the podcast stuff because he's got a lot of that stuff in his background too, doing radio. Really, really, really excited. This is going to add to our staff a lot. We're going to talk about someone that Tennessee's been able to add to its team now, and, and that's big news too. But before we do that, I just – I'm. I'm really, really happy that we can now talk about Ben and we can talk to Ben on Thursday because that will be his first day with us officially. And I think you guys are going to be going to really uh, enjoy getting to know Ben if you haven't uh, already heard him on, you know, the Swain event or on, on any of the other podcasts he's done or radio appearances. I know he already does uh, does some radio appearances in Nashville and things like that. So if you haven't heard him, I think he's going to bring a lot of personality to the to the podcast and uh, and and like you said, West does a does a great job reporting as well and 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 not just baseball. I, I know people kind of know him for that, but I think he's going to do a great job with basketball, football, and and kind of do a, a little bit of everything as as most of us do here on the site. And the best news is is he's a a proud Memphis Grizzlies fan, so you guys are going to get uh, the double dose of of John Morant standing on the site now with with me and Ben. So. Yeah, but I don't know that you have to be a Grizzly super fan to be a big Jaw fan, though. I mean, Jaw's just freaking awesome, <laughs> you know. Well, it's true, but we we support the franchise. That's um, fair. That's fair. And, and and have supported the franchise for a long time. But uh, and, and and we'll have finally some American League presence for those baseball fans on the site because after after having nothing but National League fans. We now will be adding a Yankees fan to the mix. Yeah, Ben's a. Uh, he, he, you'll get to know. You'll get to hear more from him on Thursday. But he was grew up kind of a military brat, so he grew up in, in some different places. Um, so he, his his fandom is kind of geographically diverse. Uh, but he is a big, big, big Yankees fan who still right now will will either text pretty much text me every time Rizzo hits a home run for the Yankees still. So you know it's uh it, it's good times. He, he's going to add a lot of personality to our site. He's going to add a lot of personality to our podcasts. And, and I'm not just saying this because we hired him, but I promise you, I promise you, we recently had an opportunity that we knew we were going to be able to add somebody, and this was absolutely the number one guy on I think all of our lists. This was the young guy who we said we want this guy on our team, uh, and it's just awesome. You know, when, when you're able to go out there, whether you're a sports team or in this case, a media entity, and you have like the number one person that you want and you actually get that person. It, it's, you know, it's like, is this how the Yankees or Red Sox live? This is nice. The Dodgers. I mean, this is nice. Yeah. Free agency hits and uh, and, and you get to go get your top target. Uh, it's that's that's always a good feeling. So, I, <laughs> yeah, you can you can kind of relate to that, <laughs> that that feeling general managers must have when you're able to go out there and, and, and get a guy like Ben that you really really want to add yeah this wasn't like a sunday morning uh fantasy football waiver you know you you got your guy who's been you know you you think he's like one of your starters and and he's out all of a sudden and you're like oh my god who might actually get some carries today this is not like that this is uh this was a prime cut this was a was a great a fillet we were able to add him to our team really really happy about that and you know uh and and we're going to mention it again a lot more here in a couple days but i didn't want to have this podcast and not mention it because we are all uh, every single one of us extremely excited about what he's going to add to to all of our coverage across all the the different uh, avenues in which we we deliver news. So really excited about that. 
You know who else is really excited right now is Tennessee football because the news came out about Brew McCoy finally. Uh, Tennessee's been waiting on it. Tennessee was thinking he would be eligible to play this season. And, guys, it, uh, Tennessee got good news there. Yeah, he uh, that came down Friday that, that his NCAA waiver was approved. And uh, I think it's really as odd as it sounds that the timing was really good. <laughs> you know, obviously he would have liked to have it done in you know, May when he, when he got to campus. But uh, to get it done Friday because uh, just the way that, that Tennessee was setting up their run-in to, to Thursday night was they were doing a mock game week last week. So on Tuesday, they were doing their normal Tuesday practice. Wednesday, they basically did Monday through Thursday. That's what they did. Um, just sort of a mock game week. And then they sort of hit reset on Friday. And Saturday started their actual game week for the opener uh, with everything being pushed two days back with the Thursday opener. So Saturday was their Monday, technically. So uh, from that standpoint, they got – I mean, they're, they're going to get a full week of, of working him into the game plan and figuring out ways to use him. Um, and uh, I've probably been a little bit more bullish on, on Brew and, and what he could bring than maybe you guys have. But uh, it, it's really big for Tennessee. I would maybe temper expectations right off the bat. I don't think he's going to go out there and play like 80 snaps on Thursday night. But – uh, I think you could see him in the starting lineup, and I think they'll want to get him into the flow of the offense, get him some looks, and, and, and sort of let him get some experience in, in, in the offense and sort of build him from there over the rest of the season because I think he's going to be a big piece to what they want to do. Yeah, I, I think, you know, even though we've heard some, you know, mixed things about him, I guess, around the start of camp and, and you know, looked like he had some rust to knock off with the time he missed this summer, I think there's a guy Tennessee views as a – plug-and-play starter, essentially. So, uh, to me, no question about what his role is, is going to be Thursday night. I think they I think they will start him. Now, you know, will he be out there as much as Cedric Tillman, say? I, I do wonder about that. Will he – will will they, his workload be – is he ready for a full, you know, every down kind of workload? That'll be interesting to see how much they rotate there in and, and, and multiple ways, not just with him, but with Cedric Tillman, with uh, Jalen Hyatt. You know, do they – do they get all of those guys um, that they want to play behind those three kind of mixed in? But yeah, no question in my mind that he's a, an opening day starter. I'll, I'll be shocked if he's not. And uh, and that's yeah, it's huge news for Tennessee. I mean, we'll we'll see if he does live up to the hype. But I I mean, I've continued to hear um, pr- pretty pretty good things about just the the ability he has flashed in practice. And and so maybe the guy that we saw at times knocking off the rust early in camp really was that that hindered by some things because I, I, I have, you know, over the last couple of weeks heard a lot about just how impressive he has looked at times. And that's, uh, so this is, if that's the case and, and he is the, you know, the, the guy who was a five-star coming out of high school, this is a huge deal for Tennessee's offense. I, I do think he's a wild card for this team because I can see a, a pretty wide range of outcomes for how his season goes. But I think he, he has the, the kind of ability that could take this offense to another level. If obviously Jalen Hyatt and he, can give you legitimately impressive targets to go along with Cedric Tillman and keep that defense, you know, keep opposing defenses from focusing so much attention on Tillman, who's obviously going to be option one for this passing game. Yeah, my, my hesitancy has always been sort of in, in the immediate sense. Like when you talk about sort of just the global picture, like th- th- this kid was rated where he was for a reason. Uh, my hesitancy has has been from, and this was the second straight year this has happened where. You know, Hypel the way he does things early in camp, you get to see a little bit of stuff. Not 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 eleven on eleven stuff or anything like that, but you get to see more stuff 
in terms of, of some drills and things in practice, and I, when I say we, I mean I mean the media, obviously. And, and then as the season starts to approach, uh, he kind of slams the door in terms of seeing just about anything. I, I mean, he, he just – coaches have different philosophies on this, and his is basically they get into team stuff really early on in practices, so there's not the whole – you know, kind of cliche first few periods that, that are open for the media. He, he just doesn't do any of that during the season. You, you you get to talk to the guys. It's not like they completely shut the door, but in terms of access, uh, there there is none to to actual football. So we see them on Saturday play football, and then we see them the next Saturday play football. So what I'm trying to say is that early on in camp, the version of Brew McCoy that we saw was one that still looked a little. I don't want to say ginger, but stiff a little bit. You know, he just he he, he just wasn't. He clearly wasn't back to being himself yet. He was coming off that injury. Uh, you know, this this offense goes really fast. These guys are now in their second year in it. Most of them, so they know what the pace they're going. They they know what they're doing and how they're doing it. And McCoy's coming back physically from an injury while being a little bit off. Obviously, didn't play football for a full season and, and then got injured and and then is trying to get up to speed with a, th- this kind of crazy fast offense too. So when you put all of that together, my tempering expectations has been more about the front end. And, and I never wanted people to all of a sudden think if he doesn't go out there and get like, you know, four touchdown catches in the first three games that he's not good. I think he's very good. I just don't know what he's going to be able to do early. Now that I've said that, of course, guys, he'll go out there and get what three touchdowns in the opener. Cause I've said that, but, <laughs> but, but it's just, that's the concern. Cause when I saw him, running next to like Tillman and Hyatt and the other guys early in camp, it was like, yeah, he's, he, he's not there yet. Well, he, if you put anybody next to Cedric Tillman, they're going to look a little bit more human. True. Because uh, Tillman is, is, is uh, as impressive as they get. But, um, but yeah, I mean, McCoy is, is, I mean, it's not a sure thing at all. Uh, I mean, the guy's played six games in three years. Uh, and, and as I've said and, and written, his career up to this point has been defined by what's happened off the field, whether it was the switching back and forth between USC and Texas, whether it was missing his freshman season for, I guess it was a report as an illness, uh, the off the field situation that, that got him suspended, the whole deal with the USC and falling out. And now the, the process of him getting eligible and, and USC sort of playing hardball and, and maybe not following up with what they said they were going to do. And, and Tennessee having to go the NCAA route, uh, with that, I think you got to give Tennessee credit for, you know, whenever they filed the waiver, it was obviously pretty airtight um, to get a response as quick as, as it did uh, and to get it done before the season started. But um, I, I based my expectations on it from from what I saw, that little six-game sample size at USC during the, the 2020 season. He was playing with three, uh, three guys that are on NFL rosters right now. One of them was, was Drake London. It was the first-round pick of the, of the Falcons this past year. And um, he's, he's not Javante Payton. He's not going to leave guys. He's not going to run behind guys, but, um, he, he's a long strider who takes up, you know, eats up yards, gets on you quicker than maybe you expect. He gets up field and, um, maybe a, a short throw turns into an eight yard game pretty quickly. He's tough to tackle. There's a little bit of Jawan Jennings where it almost seems like it takes multiple guys to get him down. And, uh, and he's going to be a red zone 50, 50 guy. So those are all things that I think Tennessee's offense with, uh, the way it plays, the space that'll get him, the matchups he'll get. Because if you're a defensive coordinator right now, you're going to take your chances making sure that Tillman doesn't beat you. So, yeah. so McCoy's going to get a lot of single coverage. Same for Hyatt, and, and that's why I think this is big. Not necessarily because McCoy might go out and you know produce what Valus Jones did last year. He's I don't know that he's going to go out and get 60 catches, 700, 800 yards. 
he, he could get 30 to 40 catches, 500 yards. But if he does enough and it's enough of a threat where he lets Tillman flourish, he lets Hyatt get his matchups, Jimmy Callaway get his matchups, all those things, then that's what he was brought here to do. So, uh, And I think if you're going off numbers, I think he'll catch more passes than Javante Payton did. I don't know if he'll have the same yards per catch. Yeah, Payton's, uh, Payton's I, was, I would say he probably won't yeah. average 23 yards per catch. Let me go ahead and correct myself there. He could have more than six touchdowns, though, because he's going to be a red zone guy. Tennessee should, like I think I've said this before, they should never not score a touchdown in the red zone because they got about three guys that you just throw a jump yeah. ball to. And, and that, that, that's, where and gotta, gonna, yeah, that's where I was going to – that's where I was going to steal the steal the conversation next, pack. But go ahead because that's what I think and, is huge. And really the last time we saw Drew play was in USC spring game last season, and he got one early, um, and they threw a jump ball to him for a touchdown, and, and – I think he did it against Isaac Taylor Stewart, who was playing with the Cowboys in their preseason game the other night. So, um, big body, big frame. Uh, he's a tough matchup for for. He's going to be a tough matchup for corners just because of his size and his and his ability to uh, make contested catches uh, after the after the catch. He'll pull over his shoulder. He's not easy to bring down just because he's so big. And um, I think he's going to be a real asset to this offense, regardless of of what the production ends up being, what the numbers end up being. They, we all said it going into the offseason. Tennessee needed to find guys and a guy on that, at, at that other outside spot to complement Tillman. And and I think McCoy is, is more than talented and, and more of enough of a good fit uh, that, that that will accomplish that goal and, and that will keep Tillman free to do what he can do. And, Patrick, won't, you, you raise a good point about the timing being perfect. This this could have gone worse for Tennessee. You know, they were kind of – there was this cat-and-mouse game. It was back and forth with USC, you know, they thought in July this was moving in the right direction. They At one point, they had no reason to think this was going to be some last-minute concern uh, leading up to the season opener. So for, for Tennessee to file the waiver when they did, which I think around the middle of this month, and to, and to get it taken care of before game week, huge. And, and I think it's huge for this reason. Uh, at one point in the past week, I was hearing this is going to happen. Brew McCoy is going to be cleared, but it it's not might not happen until after the opener. Tennessee was – worried at one point that it was not going to be cleared up and, and it, he wouldn't make his debut until the pit game. This is huge because now you don't have to worry about him getting acclimated in the offense, playing for the first time in a huge game for this team in week two. He gets to, you know, if there's any rust or anything he needs to figure out about playing in this system, he gets to go through that now in, the, in an opener and, and kind of ease himself in like any new player. And that's a huge deal. So now this offense has a much better chance of being up to full speed in week two against Pitt and a game they obviously need to win. That's kind of a tone setter for this season. That, that's a, that's a huge deal for this team. So the fact that this didn't drag on into game week and, and most importantly was resolved before the opener, I, I think could make a big difference for this team and, and what's going in, going into what's obviously an important month of September that I think really could change the look of this season. Yeah. And Pat hit on the, the last point I wanted to make before the break, which was, I think if you're a Tennessee fan, you want to get excited about things. I think about a red zone situation where you're spreading the field and you've got Hendon Hooker who could either run or throw. And if he does decide to throw, he can throw jump balls to either Cedric Tillman, who's a freak, Brew McCoy, who's a freak, or to Jacob Warren, who has a catch radius the size of Saturn. So, I mean, they've got some big, strong athletes uh, you know, rangy guys, guys, you know, twitchy, good leapers. They've got some guys, Walker Merrill can actually go up and high point a ball too. They've got a lot of options in the red zone where it's so important to be good there. 
And Tennessee, I think, needs to be better there. And I think with some of these options, I think Tennessee has a very good chance to be better there. And, and that's where, when you talk about going from like a seven-win team, you know, you're Tennessee, you're seven and five in the regular season. How do you go from there to like eight, nine, or more wins? Well, you do that by doing a lot of little things better. You know, Tennessee was so close, knocking down the door a couple times last year. If just one or two of those drives, if just one play really had gone differently, Tennessee would have would have won three more games. And when you have guys who can take those 50-50 balls in the red zone and make those plays, or even 40-60 balls and make those plays and, and turn you know, would-be field goals or interceptions into touchdowns, that's how you win games. That's how you take your program to the next level. And that's something I think Tennessee now with Brew McCoy has a much better chance to do because if they spread those three guys out, um, they're all three going to be bigger than whoever's guarding them. And they're all going to be really good athletes. And I think that gives you a really good chance uh, to do some damage uh, in the red zone. That's to say nothing of a guy like Jalen Hyde who can kind of wiggle by you. So uh, I I like where Tennessee – I like the look of Tennessee's offense there because if if you think maybe this is not classically an outstanding sort of short yardage running team – well, if you can spread the field and throw it to those 50-50 guys, that helps you a lot. I think that maybe helps you overcome some other things. Yeah. It, the other thing that, that stands out that I want to touch on with this is that, you know, how does it affect the receiver rotation? And, Ryan, you mentioned, and, and we, you and I both mentioned, that getting this resolved before the game, before the opener, takes one more thing out of the equation in terms of Tennessee figuring out what who they can trust a receiver because – uh, based on what we heard from from Alex Golish last week, talking about playing seven, eight guys, you can probably get away with that against Ball State. But uh, as we saw last season, this offense really took off when they got those receiver positions filled out. Yes, they needed to, uh, you know, Hinton Hooker coming in was a big deal. But even, you know, there were two and a half games of Hooker before they scored 62 on Missouri and really looked unstoppable and hit their stride. And that was when they got the, the conversation right at receiver. So um, you don't have to, like – you can work brew into the, into the game plan and, and get him steady in this game uh, against ball state. And then go from there, as opposed to trying to get him some work against Pitt, trying to get him, you know, working back against Akron and then you're in an sec play and maybe he's not, you don't have everything figured out. So uh, my, my thoughts on that rotation is, is that number is probably going to go down sooner rather than later. Once they figure out who they can trust among, among the guys they've got that wide out. So, uh, I think that takes another piece of uncertainty out of the equation as, as they try to figure out that uh, that that sort of puzzle, uh, which was obviously key to their success last season, and I think will be this season as well. Hey, one other quick thought: I, I, we haven't seen him really do much of this, and I don't know how much of this he did, you know, as a rotational guy at USC. But just knowing the size that you now have in Cedric Tillman and Brew McCoy, I, I wonder about the run blocking aspect of this. You know, you've got a running quarterback as well. Are these guys going to be kind of? Not, maybe not mauling wide receivers out there, but they, they really might be pretty effective blockers for a team that likes to run the ball more than half the time still. Yeah, Ramel R- Keaton does that really well, I think. Yeah, so I, I think with that size out there, that, that makes me wonder, you know, 225-pound, whatever he is, Brew McCoy, up against a 180-pound, 190-pound corner, it's a bit of a mismatch physically when you get in those one-on-one blocking situations. So uh, I'll be interested to see how those guys look out there in, in, in that um, that facet of the game. But also just... Uh, yeah, I, I think that it's, it's hard to uh, overestimate or, or exaggerate the, the significance of this because I think there was some legitimate uncertainty with that who would start in, in his place. And I think Tennessee was fully prepared to go with Jimmy Calloway in the slot to open the season, even though Walker Merrill had been the guy that looked like he was in position to, to get those outside reps maybe. Um, but that, 
that kind of, I think, goes back to just that they didn't really know what their next best option was. I think there was the thought that Callaway gave you a little bit more explosiveness and was was uh, gave you your, your best three out there in, in that scenario. But now Tennessee doesn't have to worry about that. They don't have to worry about potentially playing musical chairs and figuring out what, what the best combination is, how many to rotate and things like that. And I think that would have potentially been at least a little bit of a concern for an offense that otherwise should should roll this season. Uh, you know, if those guys are healthy, they're, they're going to put up points. So now one less thing to worry about. You know your three starters. And as long as those guys play up to expectations, th- this offense shouldn't have really uh, any uncertainty in the lineup besides that left tackle position that we've talked about before. So it's a, it's a huge deal and gives you a lot more of a of sort of a known commodity in your starting lineup, uh, whereas I think without him, that, that wide receiver situation could have been at least a little bit murky. And, you know, one thing I do think we all agree on is that is that Tennessee with Brew McCoy uh, could and should be better than Tennessee without Brew McCoy. Where we maybe don't agree is what exactly Tennessee's overall and SEC records will be this season. So uh, we, we got that piece out on the site last night. We're going to discuss a little bit more of it uh, in depth here on this podcast. But before we do that, uh, we're going to step away for just a second, pay some bills, listen to products, services, in-house ads, etc., and then be right back here on the Go Vols 24-7 podcast. Hashtag ad. Money! Welcome back to the Go Balls 24-7 podcast brought to you by whatever products, services, and in-house ads you just heard a moment ago during that commercial break. Wes Rucker coming to you from Fort Rucker Studio. Patrick Brown coming to you uh, from an undisclosed location. Ryan Callahan coming to you from across town there at his home daycare center. I wonder what we're going to call Ben McKee's podcast home location. We'll have a few more days to think of that. But uh, he just had a, He just had a young son as well. In July. Yeah, but we can't we can't say home daycare center because you know that's that's Ryan's already got the lockdown on that with what is it you have now eight or nine kids how many is it Ryan? Uh, just just three and that is that is all that number will grow to. Well, you never know, Ryan. You never know. But uh, one thing uh, that we do know is that uh, those children need to eat. And you know how you can help our children eat is uh, you can go and support this podcast. If you're just listening on the website, guys, that there's no problem with that. We love you. Thank you. No wrong way to consume this podcast. But what helps us out even more is if you go in there and rate and review and subscribe, whether you're listening on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, iHeart, TuneIn, Stitcher, anywhere in the world you can cast the fine pod. You can find this Go Vols 24-7 podcast. We do this for free, and we're happy to do it. Very, very few complaints from our end. Very few. Maybe not none, but very, very few complaints from our end. Um, But since we're doing that for free, I don't think it's too much to ask. So please go in there, rate, review, and subscribe, and tell your friends so we can keep adding wolves to this wolf pack as we've done since we started this thing years ago. So if you're already doing that, thank you. We love you. If not, uh... I award you no points. And may God have mercy on your soul. Guys, Tennessee football season, it is here just a few days away. On the site, Sunday night, uh, we, we put our annual predictions piece together. Uh, I should say we, we, we wrote the stuff. Pat actually compiled it and put it together on the site there at GoVols247.com where we discussed what we thought Tennessee's record would be this season. And I'm honest with you, if I'm being honest, and, and we always try to be honest here on this podcast, I would have suspected that all of us were going to say eight and four. 
I I just thought that was the if not safe thing to do, just the sensible thing to do. At least I thought why, from why, this why, end. From this why end. Why don't you Why don't you tell everyone what everyone's predictions were? I thought we were all going to say eight and four, but Pat did not say eight and four. The rest of us, I believe, did. Pat, what, what did you go with? I went nine and three. Whoa, Ryan, whoa. Yeah, yeah. Homer alert. I'm the Homer here, so I guess oh, I'll no. have to steer into that all season. Just different. Um, it's I, just I will different. say that Ryan had the same SEC record, correct, Ryan? Five and I three. did. Yep, five and three. Which means that uh, there'd be some upsets in there. Potentially, um, because, you know, not obviously not every season is going to go exactly the way that you want it to to go. There's always going to be losses you don't expect, wins you don't expect. However, uh, there were some key differences. I guess we should probably just discuss the games where one or all of us disagreed potentially. Uh, that seems like the, the, the sensible thing to do. Of course, then again, I said sensible and nothing apparently is sensible ever these days. So anyways, we all thought... Uh, there were some games that that we all sort of agree on, right? Like Ball State, um, Vanderbilt, et cetera. Ones that you're like, okay, yeah, UT Martin, they're going to win that game. The differences I think we came up with were what, guys? Some of us disagreed on the Pitt game, uh, the Florida game, the South Carolina game. Are are those the ones where we had some disagreements? Let Let me run it over. Everybody's beating Ball State. Pitt, we had... Uh, everyone but Ryan picked a win, uh-huh. so Ryan Ooh. will have to explain that. Yep. Uh, Florida was an even split. Wes and I have Tennessee losing that game, as Tennessee is one to do. Yes. Uh, LSU is uh, – I'm the only one on that island picking a win there. Yeah. Um, but that's probably one of those things where, uh, for me, my principle is I'm not going to pick Tennessee to beat Florida out of principle since I picked nine and three. I'm – you got to get a win somewhere. I got it. I got to do what I got to do. Nope. Nobody picked Tennessee to beat Georgia or Alabama. Mm-hmm. Um, everyone picked Tennessee to beat Kentucky, which that surprises me. Eh, it uh, Why? Why? I mean, because uh, Kentucky. <laughs> you're I mean, gonna, Kentucky. We're gonna get West going on Kentucky yeah. football here. That's a whole no, new podcast. If there, is, I think, I think, Ron, I think Kentucky will will end up finishing ahead of Tennessee in the SEC standings this year. That's only because Kentucky has maybe one of the easiest schedules you will ever see in your life. They they do have an easy schedule. It sets up very well for them. Uh, th- this is how crazy it is. I was explaining this to someone this this week. All Kentucky really has to do now, if depends on how good Ole Miss and Mississippi State turn out to be. Those are those are tricky games on Kentucky's schedule. But if Kentucky is good enough to win those two, and they have to go to Ole Miss. But say they win those two, then all they really have to do, barring a big upset, is split with Florida and Tennessee, and they will go to Georgia on November 19th with a chance to win the SEC East outright, assuming no one else ends up with one loss besides one of those two teams. So if they get through the – I mean, that's that's their season basically. Tennessee, Florida, Ole Miss, Mississippi State, and Georgia. Yep. Those are their five potential losses, barring I, – I'm not counting South Carolina. Yeah. I guess South Carolina South Carolina, South Carolina, Mizzou, there's some weird stuff in there. But. Yeah, but they don't have those you – know, they, they don't have Texas A&M, Alabama to worry about. So, really, Georgia's the heavy hitter on their schedule, and the rest is manageable. I mean, I, I, can, I can understand the thought process, but I, I still thought it was outlandish a little bit that Chris Doring had Georgia going 11-1 and one, uh, when he broke down their season on, on SEC. Kentucky. With the oh sorry, did I say Georgia? <laughs> had, you did. 
had had Kentucky going 11 and 1 and beating Georgia. That's why I was thinking Georgia. He had them beating Georgia with their only loss being to Tennessee. Now that's that's a little crazy to me, but I do it, think it also would pretty be, good. It also would be the most Kentucky thing ever for that to happen. <laughs> it would. I mean, like in a year but, where in a year where the stars align and Kentucky wins the East, it still loses to Tennessee because that's what Tennessee would do vis-a-vis Florida. Well, no, have, I mean, Kentucky's ten two ten win seasons. They lost to Tennessee, and one year Tennessee was average at best under improved first year. I do want to add one more thing. The only play, the only area we did, uh, the only other game where it was a difference was. Grant picked Tennessee to lose to South Carolina. Uh, which kind of we all, default, though. Yeah, it's one of those things where he kind of he kind of cornered himself there. That said, he's not here to defend himself, so I'm going to say he is an idiot for picking that that Tennessee loser <laughs> game. Yeah, he, so he's apparently he's apparently really really uh, inebriated on that Shane Beamer sauce. I'm guessing <laughs> it is what he he saw. What was it last year when Tennessee was winning like 78 to nothing? Uh, and then it became like you know seventy eight to six, and and Beamer celebrated like you know they they had won the Super Bowl. So yeah, the uh, yeah I, I don't listen. He, spit, he, spit. he bought into the he bought into the uh, t- uh, turn my swag on hype video for SEC Media Days. Oh, that was man, that I cringed. I cringed There's when I watched Butch it. Jones it, stuff it, right it was there. really butchy. It was really 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 butchy. Is what it felt like. Um, but uh, he did win more games than I think a lot of people thought was possible for that team to win last season. Now he has a shiny toy in Spencer Rattler to, to build his offense around. And if, if, if Rattler is even half as good as the hype that's always been around that young man as a prospect, then all of a sudden, going to Columbia late in the season, that's a hell of a lot tougher if that happens. But I, I just... I still I don't think, think that's a reach. I really don't. No, I think I, I, be pretty but good. I don't think it's a reach, Ryan. But what I think is, at the end of the day, we know Tennessee has Hendon Hooker and Cedric Tillman. Tennessee's got the better roster. See, that's that's where I kind of disagree. I, I think I think Tennessee has Hooker and Tillman clearly that are better, but roster top to bottom, I think they're a lot closer than people think. I did pick Tennessee to win that game, but I, I mentioned in my prediction. I think that's a more dangerous game than Tennessee fans are probably thinking. I think if you look at 45-20 last year at Neyland Stadium, you're overlooking South Carolina too much because I think especially where it is on the schedule, late in the season, next to last game, teams are beaten up by then. Tennessee's going to be coming off a brutal stretch. Um, they'll be coming off the Missouri game, so maybe not the worst of those games, but they'll be coming off a stretch where without yeah, an open day, they'll faced, play com- LSU. Coming, coming a week off those gargantuan Missouri Tigers. Well, yeah, but, that, but that'll – That'll be near the tail end of a stretch that starts with the LSU game and goes through the rest of the season with no open dates. So you've got LSU, Alabama, Kentucky, Georgia, Missouri, and then you'd be, you'd be playing South Carolina and Vandy to end the season. So it's your last uh, last big test, assuming Vanderbilt's not really, really improved. And, uh, and it's, I mean, it's a game Tennessee should win, I think, on paper still. But I think with Spencer Rattler, and I'm not overlooking the other transfers they added too. I think South Carolina added a lot more quality across the roster throughout the, their transfer portal additions than people maybe realize. I think they've, they've rounded out that roster pretty well. So it's not so much that I'm buying the Shane Beamer stuff. I just, I just do think they've done a pretty good job of filling out that roster and getting some quality players across the board that on the right day, they, they could get Tennessee some fits. And I, and I think some people also look down on Rattler a little bit too much because of what he did early last season. He still put up some pretty good numbers, and I think he's still a big-time potential NFL quarterback. So – I think that's a huge addition for them and, and changes the look of their season. So I, I'm not saying they win eight games, but I think South Carolina is a tough, tough out, especially on the road. 
Pat, I, I think yeah. picture though the looking at, at the five toss up games. I think is what we can call them. We we all differed on four of them. The only sweep we the four of us picked was Kentucky, and honestly, that's probably because none of us wanted to be that guy. <laughs> Tennessee well, fans don't like it when if you pick Tennessee lose Kentucky. Uh, I do think that South Carolina game is firmly in that category. I know uh, that's a program that was uh, not in great shape after the Will Muschamp deal ended. Um, but, I mean, that Tennessee and South Carolina always play close games in Columbia, yeah, yeah, right, they, yeah, over they. the past decade. Uh, South Carolina played their best late in the year. Now uh, they got helped out because Auburn was a mess and Florida was a bigger mess. Um, and, and you talk about schedule. South Carolina's got a brutal schedule, so they're going to have to keep that thing together again, given that in the first one, two, three, four, five, six, seven games, they play Arkansas at Arkansas. They play Georgia at home. They play at Kentucky, and they play Texas A&M. Uh, and then they'll have Clemson uh, on the back end of, the, uh, of that game, too. So that, that Tennessee game for them is sandwiched between at Florida and at Clemson. So <laughs> I, I don't know when their open date is. Their open date is – um. So basically, what you're saying is their open date is in mid October. So they, they 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 it's not like they get an open date before that game. So, um. But I, I yeah I I think the bigger the two biggest I think games that we maybe differ on are Pitt and Florida. Before um, we get to those, uh, before we, I want to circle back to Kentucky real quick because I think I think I'm again I'm Brian wants to talk Florida. about every team on the schedule. No 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 I want to talk about Kentucky because that's the one I, I really went back and forth between that and Pitt. As my fourth loss, I was I was certain about LSU, Bama, and Georgia being three of my losses. I was really torn on Kentucky versus Pitt. I went with the history side of me that knows Tennessee has almost always beaten Kentucky, and that these two teams are fairly even, and that on given home field advantage and the way Tennessee made plays against Kentucky last year, they can probably win this game. What I keep going back to is I think we all we almost forget. That was the game, I mean, as much as the Music City Bowl was bad for Tennessee's defense, that was the one that I thought was horrendous. And if it weren't yeah, for a yeah, key cause, turnover Yeah, because Will Levis made passes, which, which he didn't do against, like, a lot of other teams that they played. But he, but he didn't throw a lot of passes against a lot of teams. And you go back and look at their box scores. He had under 200 yards a lot of games because they didn't need to throw it much. So I, that was one of the games where they had to re- rely on him, and he made a lot of throws and was, was good. And Tennessee gave up over 600 yards of offense in that game. Kentucky drove up and, up and down the field. They just made some key mistakes that cost them the game in what turned out to be a three-point game. So well, wait, well, I just whatever. think Kentucky, so you're Kentucky su- – So you're suggesting Kentucky did to Tennessee against Tennessee what it almost always does when it plays Tennessee? Is what well, I mean, saying. that part's fair, and that's why I ultimately <laughs> went with Tennessee. But I'm just saying, I think well, lawyered West, lawyered. That, that that game's like 55-45 to me. I, I absolutely could see Tennessee lose that game even at home. And I think if if Will Levis is as good as some people think he's going to be this year, Tennessee's going to have a dogfight on its hands because there's a lot of people that think he's. I'm not sure if I believe it yet, but a lot of people think he's an early round draft pick. I don't believe it because I don't think he was very that good in that game. To be honest with you, there were a lot of throws yeah. he missed, and when Tennessee came after him at the end, he looked very rattled. Yep. Um, and so, if you're Tennessee going into that game, you know you have a better plan now. As West thumps his microphone and I, 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 I know I was nodding in agreement so much. I was strongly <laughs> nodding in agreement with your point. And normally, like on Zoom, we can see it when the other person's nodding, like "Yes, you got it." And when I did that, right. I, I bumped the microphone. And the other thing with Levis is who's going to catch his passes because Wondell Robinson was on the receiving end of about sixty to seventy percent hey, of last season. I'll, I'll and I know this. they've got I know they've got a guy from Virginia Tech, another Robinson, uh, yeah. no relation to Wondell. I think he, he he probably looks like an NFL guy, but 
Um, if you've got one guy, it's tough to, to – if it's a one-man show. I know Kentucky can run the ball, and, and that's their identity, and they'll play good defense. But um, Tennessee – I'm going to go out on a limb and say Tennessee has more than 14 minutes of possession yeah, uh, in the, that game. The one thing Tennessee's and, and that will be really enough well. to, to put up a lot more points than Kentucky well, can score, the, even if Tennessee's defense no-shows again like it did last year. But the and Tennessee's one, defense helped them win that game because of the pick six from Elante Taylor. Great throw, Levis. You got baited. Um, and then the end of the game where they came up with, with the stop. So, But that's what Tennessee – Tennessee's defense can stop when you run right at them unless you're like Alabama or somebody. But, but, the but that's, that's my but. point. Last year they didn't. They got 220 rushing yards in that game. Um, Chris Rodriguez was very good. That's That was the first game that truly made me think that, that, hey, Tennessee's defense maybe isn't – maybe they got worn down. But they, they were not good at stopping the run for the first time in that game. They had stopped Ole Miss, made Corral beat them with his legs. That was the first game we really saw people kind of run over them a little bit. And so I, I don't know. I think Kentucky's a more complete team than 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 you guys are maybe believing, but I, I we'll see. I mean, obviously no, they've still got to I prove it. I think it's it. a solid team. I just I think it's gonna become a second in the east because of the schedule discrepancy. Like that's and, and, and Patrick, I'll tell you the, the name to watch at wide receiver. You t- kind of touched on it there. Might be a guy from Tennessee, Barry on Brown. We'll see if they can get him quickly up to speed as a true freshman, but if he can pick things up quickly, he's he's apparently looked really good so far. So I don't know if he'll be ready for sure by that time this year. But I, he's someone I'm afraid we'll, for Tennessee fans we might be talking about here in a year or two. As how did that guy get out of state again? Because that's a it's a talented kid for sure. Well, you can't get them all. I, I'll tell you though, one thing that one game that we've not spent nearly enough time discussing, and before we get out of here, I do think we need to to discuss it. We did have. I think a little bit of, of disagreement yeah. on it was the LSU game. Uh, because well, we need to get on Pitt in Florida. I'm the only one who picked LSU, um, and I did that because of I, I got myself in a corner where well, I no, picked nine and three. I, I just think, <laughs> Pat, I, I think that's the game that three weeks, if, like three weeks from now, we could all have completely different opinions on what that game will be because yeah. LSU has always has talent. But right now it had like that huge quarterback battle. You you have a, a coach coming in who's a hell of a coach, but is doing things much differently from the way his predecessors did them. So you're talking about changing the way you do things and, and the culture. How's that going to fit? Like that team, LSU, I have no idea whether that, that's going to be like, are they struggling to like win six or seven? Or is Kelly going to go there and, and be great immediately and they're going to be really good? I don't have any idea. At all. I, think, I think I think you throw LSU and Florida in that same boat because they're new coaches. They got quarterbacks who could be really good. I think yeah. if you you know Anthony Richardson, I think is uh, I think he's probably the third best quarterback. Well, hold on, I think he's the second best quarterback in the SEC East behind Hidden Hooker. Yeah, and I'd probably put him fourth in the league behind Bryce Young, Hooker, and, and KJ Jefferson, who doesn't get any love from anybody apparently. Yeah, like he, um, he's even more overlooked than Hooker and, is. And, and Richardson, I think is, but the thing is, is that. He could be really, really good, and he could also like be a total, be very erratic, yeah, um, and be a guy that that's a great runner but can't hurt teams with his arm. So, uh, Jaden Daniels is a little bit more proven coming over from Arizona State. I, I didn't watch a whole lot of Arizona State. I don't think they were that that great. So no. can he? You know, no. he's going to have a great receiving core at LSU, though. Um, I do have questions about their offensive line. That that seems like a position where they've got a lot of changes um and, and they had to bring in a lot of guys in the secondary as well so you know by early october do they have those guys in meshing really well how does the, the first part of their season go i think they play florida state early 
think they play Auburn before the Tennessee game. Tennessee will be off. So, um, and will that game be at night, which normally might not matter, but it might matter. That's the same day as uh, LSU, A&M and Alabama. So it probably, I, I don't know. It depends on how the, the thing goes, but how the first month goes. But um, yeah, th- those are two tough games to call that LSU and Florida because you just don't know under first-year coaches who have done well. I mean, Billy Napier did a great job at Louisiana. Yeah, he did a really good um, job. But they're, you know, they're changing the systems there. It's not going to be necessarily what Mullen was doing offensively. Um, and every, their playmakers. Every player has his own individual coach, I think, when you look at the staff picture. <laughs> yeah, and for me, picking that game was um, really just more about principle because Tennessee never beats Florida. Uh, one time in what 17 years so um if i could do it over again i probably would flip those games in my my picks but uh, i sort of with going nine and three i think maybe if they get a split of them i think that would be great for tennessee i think most tennessee fans that take florida for lsu in terms of which if they had to pick one of those games but oh god they'd lose lose 80 to nothing in baton rouge to to to, to be to be florida if you if you could do it over again what did you run out of time were you taking a written test and just had to put something down no, I just – I don't even know what that means, Ryan. You can go back and change your picks now if you don't believe in them. No, <laughs> no, no. It's on the internet. It's permanent. It's it's there. Um, yeah, some, so. somebody somewhere has screenshotted it. Like Col- like Colt Takes Exposed, which has gotten me twice in my career, has probably already got it screenshotted and is just ready. Well, I, I mean, I, I do think LSU – I mean, they always have talent, but they've also had 30-something players draft over the past three years. So they're yeah. – but and, and are they reloading at the same clip as – Alabama and Georgia recruiting probably says yes, but the, you know, the results on the field since they went on that ridiculous, their 2019 was absurd since then they've been what a 500 team thereabouts. Yeah. Maybe a little bit under actually the past couple of years. Um, I just, I just he, think they've he's underachieved such, he's there. Such a, he's, oh, they have. They definitely have based like, on like, what they brought in talent wise. Yeah. Say what you will about Kelly as a, as a, as a guy, but, but as a, as a person, but as a, as a football coach, that dude's a really good football coach. And, and that doesn't mean that, you know, you can be a really good football coach and you're just a weird fit and it doesn't work out because, as we all know, LSU or Louisiana, it's kind of like its own country anyway, so it's just a different place for many, many reasons. And um, and so you, you never know how a, a kind of a – you know, kind of, kind of an odd fit for that program when you look at it. But then again, if you're down there and you win, they'll just do whatever the hell you want. So maybe it does work. I mean, this isn't an outlandish statement since LSU just did it a few years ago, but I'm not going to be shocked if, if Brian Kelly wins a national title at LSU. I mean, that's what he's being brought in to do. Well, yeah, they're, um, L- they're LSU. Yeah, I think his limitations at Notre Dame were just, you know, sometimes you can't go get enough top-level athletes to hang with Alabama in the playoff and things like that, and that showed up when they played him on the field. But now put him at LSU where you have no trouble getting that kind of talent. His, his teams are going to be good, I'm sure, in, in no time. But yeah, the only question is how quickly they can get there, but I, I do think LSU will be one of the more improved teams in the league, which is why – I, I'm and I'm not reluctantly, but that's why I, I I gave the slight lean to LSU in this one. But I think you guys make a good point. A few weeks into the season, we could feel differently about both of these teams. Frankly, if Tennessee's defense is noticeably better, that could change my thoughts about this team because I, I expect to see more incremental progress, I guess, from the defense. But if they're a lot better, you know that that changes yeah. my thoughts on this because I, I think LSU is going to get its share of points, and I think the receivers. Patrick touched on that is one of the reasons I would assume that, and then LSU's pass rushers. I think are also going to give Tennessee some fits. I think this team, LSU, can get after the quarterback, and that 
teams like that to me are the biggest worries for Tennessee because of that tackle position, that left tackle spot being open. And they were sometimes exposed just across the board. I mean, they've got four guys back, so they've got a veteran offensive line. But let's not like they were perfect in, in pass protection last year either. I mean, they, they they got picked apart a little bit there on the offensive line at times uh, and had some injuries, granted, but that's 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 part of it. But I, I'd, I'd still worry about those teams with great pass rushes because I think that has the potential to be problems for uh, for Hendon Hooker in that offensive line. What, what I said, what I meant Ryan, by what I said is that from a football standpoint, if I'm just looking at the teams on paper here before anybody's played a game, I would say Tennessee is more likely to beat Florida. That game's at home. Florida could be one and two at that point, given that they play Utah and Kentucky in the first three weeks. You know, if they're one and two and, and the buy-ins, maybe not where it is with Napier, that, that certainly that game looks a lot easier. Um, but just from a, I mean, like I said, we don't know what Florida's going to be, but we generally know what happens when Tennessee plays Florida. So Florida could um, roll into Knoxville own three, and I'm probably picking Florida until Tennessee gives me a reason to not do it. But but they right. really might be one and two. I mean that's that's a fair point. That's, I don't know what to make of that if that if that happens. You know, Florida really needs a split at least of those Utah and Kentucky games to start the year. And Florida, Tennessee will have a better book on Florida this year than it usually does. But that's one of the things we we almost never see much of Florida before that Tennessee game. That's kind of when you're learning about them. And I think that's something that's always kind of worked against Tennessee. So I do like that better for Tennessee about this year's matchup is that Florida's going to have to throw. You know they can't hold things back. They've got to be ready to go week one. And I think Utah and Kentucky are going to give you a much better idea of what to expect against Florida and, and how to defend Anthony Richardson maybe than if that than if that was their first tough game on the schedule. Well, Kentucky's hey, a, hey, Kentucky's I, the I, Buffalo I wanna... Bills, right, Ryan? Isn't that what you said earlier? Kentucky's as good as the well, Buffalo Bills. Is that what you said? <laughs> hey, uh, one other thing I wanted to mention on that scheduling. I, I I think sometimes this is overrated, but I like that for Tennessee. I like that that LSU game comes off the open day. That's one reason I maybe give them a little bit better shot at winning that game on the road. Likewise, that's another thing I wanted to mention about the Kentucky game. I think Kentucky's coming off an open day when they play Tennessee, but but LSU, I do like that setup for Tennessee that they at least get that open date coming off the Florida game because they'll, they'll have a tough couple of tough games in September. Maybe you'd be a little bit banged up from one or two of those games, but then you get that open date and the extra week to prepare against an LSU team that might be beatable on the right day, especially. So even though that's on the road, I, I do give Tennessee at least an outside shot, maybe, maybe a realistic shot at, at pulling off that upset. I, I just want to go on the record and disagree with Ryan about Brian Kelly. I think that's going to go miserably. Really? Um, I, just because I don't he's know about, not a culture. I, I don't know about. I don't know about miserably, but you say they brought him in to win national titles. Texas A&M brought Jimbo Fisher into win national titles, and in year four, well, he's losing. He's getting swept by the Mississippi schools and going. But, but well, so, well, but Texas, but Texas A&M has never shown it can do it. LSU has shown under two different coaches since Nick Saban that it can do it. So I, I think you can absolutely win a national mm. title. And I, he made it to the playoff with Alabama, well, yeah, with Notre he, Dame, what, twice? I mean, he can, have, he can if, win a national title at LSU. If you have a good enough slingshot, you can stand on that campus and point it in any direction and get, like, five SEC-level football players. So, yes, yeah. you can go down to LSU, and you can you can be really good really quickly if you're good if you're a good coach. And you have such a strong home state pull at LSU. You're getting I, the vast majority of that in-state talent every year. I just Let me clarify. I don't know that it'll, he'll be a bust down there. I don't think he'll win a national title there. I'll put it that way. There you go. But yeah, maybe. I'm not saying he does because they're going to have to probably. They might have to beat Alabama twice. Well, no, they won't. They'll have to beat Alabama and Georgia, maybe twice. Maybe in the SEC title game. Maybe in the playoff. Maybe in the regular season. And I don't see him doing that. So it'll and, just depend. It'll depend on what they get at the quarterback uh, position. Unless I mean. unless Joe Burrow comes back. But anyways, yeah. on to Pitt. On to Pitt. Yeah, on to Pitt. Before we get out of here, before we push it too much on time, I, I think. 
Pitt to me is weird because anyone who knows the history of the Pitt program knows that Pitt is always weird. Uh, you, you never know ever what to expect uh, from Pitt. You, you, you will have Pitt in the same year will have one or two games where it wins and you didn't think it had much of a chance. And then it'll have one or two games where you go, that's some of the worst football I've ever seen in my like, life. And that, that, that's a like, very Pitt thing to do. Like last season when they went and won at Tennessee and then turned around the next week and lost to Western Michigan. That or would, when they that, beat Clemson and then they lost to Miami. Yep. And Miami at that point, had like, I think Van Dyke had just started as their quarterback. Oh, yeah. They was, were kind of scuffling. Everybody was going to fire Manny Diaz, which they didn't fire him anyway. Um, but, yeah, go ahead. No, it's just the, the, the Pitt thing is it's weird because Pitt is notoriously difficult to predict what Pitt will do at any given time. Um, it, but it, but no. it, And that's why if you're Tennessee, you probably want them to win against West Virginia in their opener, which is also Thursday night. Because yes, big the ri- thing to big, do would be to beat West Virginia and then turn around and Tennessee beats them by four touchdowns. Yes. <laughs> Whereas if, if Pitt goes out and like lays an egg against West Virginia in the backyard brawl, then, okay, well, they're probably going to turn around and look like Gangbusters against Tennessee. Yes, yeah, Sl- Slovis will throw for about four thirty-five and five touchdowns, and yeah, they'll they'll just he'll look like a first-round draft pick, and and yeah, that's. But it's weird to me because it's not like that's like a super hostile environment to go play in. It's an NFL stadium. It's going to be several Tennessee fans there as always in road games, especially because Pittsburgh's really not that far away from Knoxville, really. So so I, I think you'll and there's a bunch of Tennessee fans up in that part of the the country as well. So I I think you you'll see. It's not like you're going into a hostile SEC road environment type feel. It's it's just not it's it's not quite the same. I'm sure it'll be a, a really good atmosphere for Pitt. It will and should not phase uh, Tennessee. And and then you look at just the roster. Pitt is replacing one of the best quarterbacks in all of college football. A guy who was just an unbelievably good football player that I think a lot of us last season, this time last year, were not giving nearly enough credit to. And then watched him play and went, oh, oh. Wow, he's good. Yeah, he's gone. Uh, they have a stud, had the stud wide receiver. Now he's at USC. And they did bring back a lot on defense, brought back a good receiver, brought back some running backs. And they think, Ryan, you, I think it was you saying there are people up there who think this team might be better than last year's Pitt team. I just have a hard time believing that. It's just really interesting the different opinions you get on Pitt. And so this game, I mean, honest, I don't expect Tennessee to win in a blowout, but like I could see anything from Tennessee winning by three touchdowns to Pitt winning by 10. Like, I mean, nothing would shock me in this game because there's so many different thoughts on how good Pitt really is. Like, some people think Pitt's a playoff contender because their schedule's not that tough because the conference they're in, not not loaded. Is it, is, and, it, is it harder than Kentucky's or not? Uh, probably comparable, I guess. Who, who, who would win between Kentucky and Pitt, Ryan? <laughs> That's a good question. I'd love to see I meant, that game, actually. I meant, well, I meant to say the Kentucky and the Pittsburgh Steelers is what I would yeah, say. Yeah, the, right, the, the actual, right. yeah, the, 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 the kind of football where Kentucky belongs in, in, the, in the, the, the National Football League. <laughs> uh, I'm going to remember this when Kentucky goes like 10-2 and two this year. But It's no, going uh, to go 9-2. 10-2 with a loss to Tennessee. It's going to roll the ball out there and win 9. Look at the schedule. For the record, before these guys paint me as thinking Kentucky's awesome, I still picked Tennessee to beat Kentucky. All I was saying is I'm shocked that all four of us agreed on that because I think Kentucky is – I mean, obviously they were picked to finish out of Tennessee in the SEC. Get back to Pitt, Ryan. But anyway, yeah, I know. Back to Pitt. So here's the thing with Pitt. They lost – sure. I mean, and it's easy to say, okay, yeah, they just lost Kenny Pickett and Jordan Addison, their two best players. But that is the most of what they lost. I mean, they lost some other players, but – 
They bring back all five starters, I believe, on the offensive line. Mm-hmm. Um, while they lose Jordan Addison, they bring back Jared Wayne, who had over 600 yards uh, at receiver last year. They have a pass-catching tight end who's who's pretty good, who's back. Yeah, uh, for, and for, then on, former on defense. Florida, former, former Florida player, I think. He's a good player. No, that guy moved on. No, it's the other guy then. All right, my bad. <laughs> but uh, Cut it, cut it, a, delete it, delete it, cut it. And then their defensive line, which, I mean, all the talk at, you know, around Tennessee, obviously, was about how many tackles for loss they had. I think Pitt ranked second in the country last year in tackles for loss and was up there in, in sacks, Pitt, too. Pitt's been uh, good in those two categories for about three or four years now. Narduzzi, I'm talking and, like lead the yeah. country, top, top two or top three, but good. And, and Tennessee is already well aware of the exotic blitzes and things like that Pitt's known for under under Pat Narduzzi. They're going to they're gonna be tested up front no matter what, but to me – it's the timing of this game that worries me. And, and again, I, I kind of like Grant and Patrick, it sounds like, I didn't know where to put the fourth loss. I just think between Kentucky, South Carolina, and Pitt, Tennessee can't get through all three of those games without tripping on some landmine somewhere. And I didn't know which to go with, and I sort of reluctantly went with Pitt because, I mean, I, deep down, I, I, it's a complete toss-up to me just with where it is on the schedule and everything. But I, I just think – because it is that second game, it's Tennessee's first real test with that left tackle situation, and you're going against a defensive front that's got a lot of veterans back and is really good at getting after the quarterback. They're going to blitz, throw some exotic stuff at Tennessee that they, they haven't fully seen or prepared for. And you've got some running backs that are not great pass protectors either, and that's, what, that's, that's where Tennessee had some mistakes last year uh, against Pitt that got them down. Uh, in, in that game before they had to, you know, had, had a late comeback attempt that almost worked out, but they, they, they got down because they made some mistakes and that, that pit pass rush will do that to you. So I, I think, I just think the matchup is tougher than people think. And with all those veterans coming back, especially at the line of scrimmage, I, I think that's significant. They get running backs back. I mean, they, they should have some, some experience and, and depth at running back. So I, I just think that's a team across the board that besides those two big names has a lot back and that those, those teams can surprise you in, in college football. And that, and you still pick Tennessee to win this game because you just no, no. Pitt, Pitt made you made it sound like the Steelers. Yeah, I'm just saying no, no. Look, I still so, think Pitt's who, probably who, like who a nine win Who would win between team. the Pittsburgh Panther Steelers and the Kentucky Bill Wildcats? <laughs> I, I just think Pitt's like a nine win team. Like they're a solid uh, team. Now, I think they're overranked, overranked a little bit at like 16 or whatever they are in the preseason polls. But that's yeah. but, but they're I mean they're good. I think this is a tough game for Tennessee. And whether it's I don't know. I, I the two I've came down to in the end were Pitt and Kentucky. I think they'd probably lose one of those two games. I just went with Pitt because the situation seemed a little more so, difficult. So you picked Pitt to win. All right. So I got that wrong. I did. Uh, yeah. As the guy who, as the only one of us who correctly picked Tennessee to lose to Pittsburgh last season, here's oh, my view here on this game. My view, going into, my view going into that game was that it was too early. Um, Pittsburgh hadn't been great under Narduzzi, but they had you know, an established program. They have a blueprint that they play to. Um, they had the established quarterback in Kenny Pickett. Uh, they had Addison coming back off a big freshman season. I thought that game was too early. And Tennessee still almost went out there and won that game. Tennessee probably feels like it should have won that game. Absolutely. Um, I go into this game sort of thinking the shoe is on the other foot. Um, you're not going to be hitting an all-cylinders offensively two games after Kenny Pickett. I mean, he's a generational talent. Um, and... and you're having a new offensive coordinator um, coming in. It's a guy that there's, you know, there's some familiarity with, and, and it sounds like they're going to change the identity because you have Narduzzi out here at Media Days last month complaining about how they threw the ball so much. Well, you had Kenny Pickett at quarterback. Why wouldn't you put the ball in his hands every play? 
Now you don't. So you don't want Keaton Slovis throwing it every play because he's not a very good mobile quarterback and turn, he can throw it really well. Um, are all those things going to gel two games into the season to know enough to where Pitt is going to be able to score with Tennessee because Pitt's going to need to be able to score with Tennessee because even with all the talent Pittsburgh has on defense, Tennessee put up 34 on them last year and probably should have scored 50-something. Yeah, that was a game <laughs> if where, we're being where honest. Yeah, th- there, was, there were some throws that – that, that uh, Joe Milton missed some throws, Milton and then there was a, a terrible, terrible spot that would have given Tennessee a first and goal at like the three yeah. at, at a pivotal point in the game. Uh, and I think Tennessee will have revenge on its mind. I think they'll be pissed off if they lost that game last year. I think it'll be. Uh, I think that'll be their their mindset. I think they'll be really focused and really sharp in that game. And I think Pitt still has some question marks. That said, as Ryan mentioned, they bring their entire offensive line back. They have some legitimate dudes on, on the front. Uh, Kalaja Kansi is, a, is a, one of the best defensive tackles in the country. Yeah, the back at Baldonado is a guy that says you could not block last season off the edge. He's back. Both those guys are going to play in the NFL and make a lot of money. Um, there are some holes in the secondary. They didn't, you know, I think they gave up quite a bit of passing yardage last season. So um, if Tennessee can protect, that's the big question mark. If Tennessee can protect, then they ought to be able to name their name the score in terms of how many they score. Now, how many they get up? Again, if you're going from a passing team to a running team, you may have all your offensive linemen back, but are those guys really good run blockers? If you were average running the football last season when that should have been a strength of your game because everybody was worried about what Kenny Pickett was going to do to you. So uh, that, those are my, that, that's why I lean towards Tennessee winning that game because it's really just the inverse uh, of what it was last season when it was just too soon. I think it's too soon for Pitt, even though I, I do think they're better than a lot of people are going to be giving them credit for. Um, but I, I do think that it may not all have come together that soon at, um, yeah. at, at that point of the season. And I think that that provides us a sort of a smooth transition to land this plane here because you said can Tennessee uh, protect against Pitt is what it comes down to. Well, well we're going to find out here in just a few hours uh, what Tennessee is going to do at, at left tackle and some other places because Tennessee uh, is going to release a depth chart here in just a, just a few hours after we drop this podcast. So, We'll have more about that, obviously, on GoVols 24-7. would like to have, have done the podcast after that, and maybe we'll, we'll, we'll touch on that here in a couple days or so. But we really, especially during the season, like to get those out uh, on time on Monday mornings for your commute into work. So we went ahead and recorded the pod, but we'll see. There, there's always some surprises, so we'll, we'll see. You know? uh, mostly oars, I would say. <laughs> those yeah, will be the surprises. And more oars than the rowing team, probably, yes. That would be uh, um, my guess. I had one more th- thought on the Pitt game. Uh, just the, Pat, Patrick makes a good point. The secondary is vulnerable for Pitt. I think that's if Tennessee wins the game, it's probably going to be because of that. But two things I think we forget about that game Tennessee had a block punt early that gave them a touchdown, basically. Um, so when you throw that in there, they got they, they were spotted a 10 nothing lead. Here comes Wes Blanket Callahan. And then Pitt came a- back and After scored. Wes had said, hey, there's a really good transition here where we can land this plane, Ryan said, hold on, I have to crush your dreams. You, no, you stopped me, and and <laughs> they get to make this final point. Speaking of crushing dreams, uh, Dan's responsive. That's all. <laughs> we we won't get to that. Uh, <laughs> we're running out of time. Um, but Pitt uh, Pitt scored thirty four of the next forty four points after that ten nothing start for Tennessee and led thirty four twenty. So uh, the other thing that I had forgotten about that game until I went back and looked at it was Tennessee didn't run the ball well at all against Pitt. That um, their rushing yards were all from Joe Milton and Hendon Hooker. Their running backs, I think, had a combined 29 yards. Um, Jabari yeah. Small had like when they started they, to get behind there, they had to throw more or, th- or 33. Well, no, no, they, no, they had 19 carries for 33 yards between Jabari Small and Jalen Wright. Uh, with well, that, Wright was game, having, that was the game Tyon Evans missed, and Jabari yeah. got hurt in the first half, didn't play in the second half. 
Yeah. So, uh, so a Tennessee's running back situation, you know, we still, I mean, I think Dylan Sampson gives you a, a different dimension there, but you know, I, I don't know, just between all that Pitt having a lot of guys back in the front seven, I can see Tennessee struggling to run the ball again. I just, I think that's a more dangerous game. I will say this. I think a lot of Tennessee fans are pinching that in as a 70 30 win. You know, I don't think they're saying it's a shoe in, but I think a lot of Tennessee fans think they'll probably win because it's Pitt. I just think that's a much more dangerous game than a lot of fans are thinking. And I think that's a, a pretty tricky second game for, for this squad, even with a lot of guys back. Yeah, I think the way I put it was I, I think Pitt might be a little bit better than than tennis, some Tennessee fans seem to think it is, but but not as good as uh, some people in the, the AP poll seem to think that it is. I think there's a there's a little middle ground there where Pitt could fit. And now that I've said that, they're, they're going to go yeah. probably when, you know, go to the playoff now. Um, but in, nonetheless... Part of it just... Depends on how good you think Keaton Slovis is. The people buying the hype might just think Slovis is going to be really good, and that's possible. They've well, done well with, pit, with quarterbacks. Be, like Pat said, he might not be really good early. Or on. Are you going to get? Are you going to get the 2019 Pac-12 freshman of the year? Or are you going to get the one that got right finished last season? For that's was it Jackson Dart came in. I know yes, yes, he was a mess last season, so you have to throw that in there. But but that's a pretty big wild card, though. I mean, he, you don't know which version of him you're going to get, and uh, and you don't know for sure what they have at receiver beyond uh, beyond having the one the one leading receiver back uh, without Jordan Addison. So it, it probably depends on what they do at those two positions. But if those if those spots are good, Pitt's solid across the board. They just got to avoid that secondary getting exposed against Tennessee. And now that we've talked about all those really fun games, we're going to go ahead and drop this podcast, and then for the next couple days Tennessee we'll talk about only Ball State because uh one thing at a time right so we will uh, well we, we can have this pit debate again in about a week as we start to focus on that game it's it's going to be here before you know it that but is we'll true. have the backyard brawl to break down so it'll yes. be different yes we will make sure to set the DVR for that one I guess you don't really have to do that anymore because you can just probably go back and watch it like on the website somewhere but you know you, you, used, I, to say, I you say, used to say DVR and before that you used to say recorded so you know technology changes TiVo we, we, yeah, we didn't get go. to spend as, we didn't get to spend as much time on the Florida game as I thought we might, but I, I look forward to you guys both being publicly flogged for just assuming that because of past past teams, we Wes and I have both <laughs> taken heat for, heat over this for years. But and you know what? Just about every year, I've been right. They, they, a lot of fans just say, you know what? Those teams had nothing to do with this team. You can't take that into consideration as your logic for Tennessee losing a game, can you? But I just I look forward to that debate that's inevitably I, already underway yeah. by the time this podcast. I, uh, I, I try to get I try to get out in front of it by saying, remember that I'm the only one who picked nine and three. <laughs> yeah, just because you live in Anchorage, Alaska, and just because it's the middle of February, does not mean that it's going to be cold. Yeah, it does. Yeah, it does. <laughs> I just it means it's going to be mean, cold. I, yeah. I'm still a little bit on the fence about that game. I, I do think Tennessee is just better on paper, so I just I just went with it. I may change my mind by the time that week comes around, but I, I it'll be fascinating. We'll know a lot more about Florida again by the, by the time those first two games are played. There we go. Ryan has has removed the wet blanket, so I think that might be time for us to go ahead and get out of here. You guys got anything else? <laughs> no. no. Bye. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Thanks, Wes. Thanks, Wes. And there's the button, and now I can say, guys, thank you for listening to this edition of the Go Vols 24-7 podcast. As always, we always say it, but we always mean it. Thank you. 
Thank you, thank you. You can find all of us on social media. I'm Wes Rucker, 24-7 on Twitter. Ryan Callahan is Ryan Callahan, 24-7 on Twitter. Patrick Brown is P. Brown, 24-7 on Twitter. And Grant Ramey is Grant Ramey on Twitter. If you want uh, just Tennessee news in your feed, nothing else, get that at twitter.com slash govals247. You can also go to facebook.com slash govals247, and you can get tons of stuff there throughout the day, all day, every day. But if you want that best, most delicious East Tennessee Smoky Mountain spring water directly from the tap, Go get that at GoVols247.com, the best site on all of Al Gore's internet to get coverage of Tennessee football, football recruiting, basketball, basketball recruiting, uh, baseball, tons of stuff going on there these days, obviously. Lady Vols coverage, where Maria Cornelius does an excellent job all year covering all things Lady Vols for us all the time. we got two forums that run around the clock 24-7, as the name suggests. we got the checkerboard and the summit, where you can go 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and you can discuss Anything you want that is not political or religious in nature with Tennessee fans across the world, pretty much every freaking time zone that exists. We've got somebody there. We got people up at different hours of the day. We got all kinds, any time of day, anytime you go there, you're going to find a bunch of people on there talking Tennessee athletics, talking SEC stuff, talking pro sports, talking life, advice with kids, what to get spouses for their for anniversaries, uh, lawn maintenance. Oh, just You never know what people are going to be talking about on there. And it'll be anything that's not political or religious in nature. Anything else right there on the board for you to discuss. And you can get all of that for less than the price of one mediocre lunch per month after a seven-day free trial. That is all that it costs. And after you pay or get that seven-day that seven free trial, after that, you get us that, that low rate. That's one mediocre lunch per month. But you don't just get GoVols 24-7 with that. You get access to Paramount Plus with that for free in perpetuity. You also get access to a growing behemoth of a streaming platform that has every show CBS has ever done commercial free. Tons of exclusive stuff uh, that you can only find like, you know, 1883, Picard, Evil, Star Trek, all kinds of stuff that you can only find on Paramount Plus. You got new movies. You got classic movies, old blockbuster franchises, you know, comedies, dramas, horror, everything, stuff for the kids. All of it, all of it, and stuff from the archives of, uh, of CBS, obviously, and MTV, BET, Comedy Central, Nickelodeon, Smithsonian, all of it, all of it, right there, something for the entire family, and live sports, SEC sports, NFL sports, uh, you got UEFA Champions League, UEFA Europa League, Serie A, French soccer, uh, PGA Tour, you get everything on there, and we you get all of that, and our site, all of it, for just about 100 bucks and change a year. One of the best deals you can possibly find. And if you don't do it, I don't know what's wrong with you. Go do that. Don't be a fool. Go do that. If nothing else, guys, you should hear from, hear from us in a few days. So until then, uh, try to be good to each other. Try to have basic human empathy for, for people out there in the world. There's not enough of that these days. There's too many a-holes. We don't need that. Be good. See you. <laughs>